Glad that you're here with us this morning again. Uh, we do have uh, student ministries we'll meet tonight. I forgot to say that in the announcements earlier. Ben is leaving for a spiritual retreat, but we do have a youth group tonight. And Julie and I are going old school, back to our roots, running youth ministry. So we'll be playing youth games that are probably dangerous. Uh, actually, it's funny. Julie and I had to sit down and talk through everything. We, I, I did this for 25 years, youth ministry, and we had to sit down and talk about Okay, like, okay, is the food safe? Is the, you know, the game safe? Are they, so we're, we tried to do things like today, but uh, we'll start, we're going to have a good time tonight. We're looking forward to that. There will be food, uh, games, and a lesson, so we encourage the teens to come out tonight. Let's pray if, as you turn into your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We did verses 1 through 5 last week, uh, but we're going to pick up 6 through 29. We got lots of scripture today, so hopefully you're ready to go. You got your Bible open or some kind of a gadget tuned in and ready to go. There are Bibles in the seats underneath the, the trays if you'd like to do that. Let's pray this morning. Would you pray this prayer? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, I pray that you'd be glorified. Pray that everyone hearing this would be edified. We pray that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans. Faith on a firm foundation. The big idea today. There it is. The lesson of Israel is taught through difficult questions. Uh, if you've been with us and maybe following along, you might notice that Paul has been asking some questions, kind of rhetorical questions, not really meant for an answer. He's really like an, uh, a lawyer in a courtroom, and he's asking questions, and he's going to give an answer. He's not leaving it open. It's not like, hey, you think what you want, and everybody, you know, you think what you want, I'll think what I want, well, I'll just be thinking about whatever. He's, he's basically saying, is this true? No, absolutely not. And so the rhetorical type questions, but the questions get tougher today. Now, here's my caveat. Listen carefully, eyeballs here. Um, you need to know, most pastors won't preach Romans 9 through 11. Uh, I actually couldn't believe that. I was with pastors, and I, I asked them, and they're like, oh yeah, I preached Romans all the way through 8, then we stopped, and then I picked up in 12. I said, didn't your people ask you about what was in Romans 9 through 11? No. And so uh, I'm going to take the harder course and preach through this, but I want to give you the statement. Here goes the statement. We should put this on tape and just roll this. You do not have to agree with our theology, my theology, I guess I'd say. I'd probably say if we met as elders in the boardroom, we probably wouldn't be in complete agreement on these issues. They're tough issues. They're theological issues. You do not have to be in 100% agreement with what I'm going to preach. Uh, I, I am a biblicist, and I try to hold true to what the Bible says. And when the Bible says something and it makes me uncomfortable, that doesn't give me license and authority to choose some kind of a made-up doctrine or choose some kind of a made-up way around what the Bible says. I'm simply going to teach you what Paul said today. And the reason why I'm giving you the caveat is because Paul just goes off in this passage, like straight out. He says it, and you're like, okay, that was pretty harsh. And then he doubles down and says it harder, and it gets worse. And, and so, like, just when you think we're about free today, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, Paul. Uh, and so we're going to preach it because we believe it's in Scripture. And it has to do with a lot about election, God's work, 
before creation. Um, but I want to let you know I believe in free will. I believe that man does choose. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I believe man's will has something to do with it, that you have to surrender that will to a great God. But God is God, and we cannot minimize his actions. And so I'm going to try to put it out there. But if you leave today, again, number one, don't leave mad. You know, I hate that pastor. He's such a jerk. Uh, don't leave mad, okay? Second, don't write mean emails, okay? We don't need those. Um, if you still hold to a different opinion, do that, and let's do that in peace and love, okay? Uh, and so let me read through the passage for today. It's kind of long, uh, but we're going to ask these tough questions, tough questions. Romans 9, 6 through 29. Are you ready? Somebody say yes, PD. Okay, good, because I hope you're with me. Romans 9, 6 through 29. It is not as though God's word had failed. Okay, let's talk about 1 through 5. Remember last week, Paul was moaning and, and hurt over the fact that Israel, his people, missed the Messiah. Not all of them. Some came to faith, but others just thought that they were in because they were born Jews. And Paul made a big deal saying, not all Israel is Israel. I mean, it, it, it's not about being a politically born of this race. No, it's, it's going to be different than that. And so Paul talks about how sad he was. And he would even lay down his life, his salvation, if only other people could be saved. And that's how serious he was about it. And now he's going to start asking some hard questions. He, he comes from that, basically, a, a Jew reading, what do you mean I'm not saved? I'm, I was born a Jew. And then Paul starts to answer in verse 6, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, why then does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known 
to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved ones who is not my loved one. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there will be called, there they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. May God add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. I can boil it down in three words, and then we can just go home. Grace, not race. Let me say it again. Grace, not race. Paul is talking about Israel, there's no doubt about it. And Paul is making the point that just because you're born in a certain family will not get you into heaven. God's grace is involved. His mercy is involved. You choose by faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says very clearly, believe and you will be saved. But there's a lot of hard questions here. I thought of some great hard questions. I knew I had the light and mood. Because people are right now, you're thinking. Right now, you're kind of in your mind going, what's going on? What's he going to say about this? And so we're going to ask tough questions. I really put some time and thought into this, okay? Here's some tough questions that I also want answers to. Don't you want answers to hard questions? Anybody here have a hard question you just want an answer to? Anybody? Okay, there's only three inquisitive people here. Okay, so these are just, this is so you get to know your pastor and his deep, deep thoughts. Is there another word for synonym? Okay. What was the best thing before sliced bread? Huh? Anybody? No? All right. It gets deeper. By the way, I did spend a lot of time in philosophy in college, so these are the unanswered questions of life. What do you do when you see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? Okay. All right. All right. Some of you are still not sure. Uh, would a fly without wings be called a walk? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Why do they lock gas station bathrooms? Is it because they're afraid someone's going to sneak in and clean them? We don't, we don't know. We don't know. If the police arrested a mime, do they have to tell him he has the right to remain silent? No? All right. If you try to fail but succeed, which have you done? Okay, think about that. Questions. Everybody say, hmm. That's where we're at, okay? This is how low we've gotten. We are trying to consider the questions that Paul brings out and says, hey, these are some questions. Basically, Paul's going to say, I'm going to say some hard things, and I know that you're going to protest. And he asks some questions. The main thing is grace, not race, that we have to remember. So what are the difficult questions that Paul asks here? I, I see three. Has God failed? At the beginning in chapter 6, after talking about Israel and how not all Israel is saved, Paul brings up the question that many people would have is, well, then did God fail? They were his people. 
Well, then did he fail? It's a common question, and it's one that's asked today. We have, quote-unquote, these are air quotes, quote-unquote theologians that have said, God's word said he's not willing that any should perish. So the fact that anybody perishes and goes to hell means that God failed and God cannot fail, so therefore, everybody goes to heaven. That's, that's their contention. And you might be thinking, what? Well, that's a common thread that's been happening in the last decade. There are those who say there is no such thing as hell because God cannot fail. He doesn't want anybody to perish, so how could he fail? So Paul is, is, he knows that that's how people think logically, and he's saying, okay, you just heard me say that not all in Israel are going to be saved, and God chose them, so did he fail? No. His answer emphatically is no. God does things the way he sees best. I'm going to break it down into a couple of other thoughts. This is not being nice to me today. Okay, I'm pushing it like 10 times for every one click. Okay, not the way we see best. So God thinks, he does things the way he sees best, not the way that we see best. Again, I've said this before, but when it comes to the deep things about theology, about how God does things before creation, those are hard things. We can have opinions on those things, but I'm just gonna say I wasn't there. You weren't there either, (laughs) And this drives my wife crazy when we think about eternal foreverness and that God has always been. He was never created. Before creation, God was. I wasn't there. I didn't have a conversation with him about his plans from now until the end of time. He doesn't do things the way we see best in our finite minds. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5. Do we have that on the screen? As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Scripture tells us that. We don't know God's ways. We just don't know them. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. One thing we just have to come to an understanding about is God is God and you're not God. And I would warn anybody today, if you have a thought or a theological process in your mind that makes God look bad, check your theology. Maybe your theology is not correct. Only God can see the end from the beginning. Before he created you, he knew you. The Bible says, uh, my favorite passage, Psalm 139, uh, he knit me together in my mother's womb Before I was formed in that secret place, everything in my life had been written down in a book. So he knows the end from the beginning. Not only that, God knows all the information. Don't you want the information? God knows all the information. We struggle when we we don't see it, right? I I mean, let's just take a poll. How many of you guys have an opinion about a Chinese weather balloon? Anybody have an opinion about that? Right? Right? Let me just tell you guys something, okay? Let, hear it from your pastor today. You don't got all the information. We don't have all the information. We hear what they tell us on the news, whether the right or the left or the maybe in the middle. I don't know what, they, what they're telling us. And guess what? They don't have all the information. <laughs> we don't know the end from the beginning when it comes to this whole situation. We can have opinions about it. We can have thoughts about it. But you don't know. You don't know. 
Not only does God know the end from the beginning, He knows all the information, but only God knows the direction that He's taking things. He had a plan from the beginning of creation. God had a plan. So I go back to... Um, it wasn't on this slide or is it the next slide? It's the next slide. I'll come back to that. God's character. That's, to me, it's the vital end of all conversations is do you trust the character of God? Do you trust that he does all things well? Even if you don't understand it, right? I think Julie and I were driving around yesterday when somebody on the news said, because uh, we're all like, blow it up. I mean, that was my first thought. Let's blow that thing up. And I'm like, man, they better not go. There, somebody in America is going to try to blow that thing up, Right? And then somebody had said late yesterday, we don't know if that thing was full of chemicals. And they were hoping we would blow it up over the continental United States and kill thousands of people. Wouldn't that have been great? Kenny, I could see you out there with your bow and arrow. I could see you out there yesterday going, I'll take that thing down. And then everybody dies. Why? We don't have all the information, right? Be careful about how we act, right? And so we have to understand God is God and we're not God. That's the first question. Is he going to fail? No. Then he brings it, well, I got to go back to. There's a very important verse that we've got to talk about. I'm not going to run away from. What does Paul do? He makes a wonderful case by saying, not all Israel are Israel. Then he says, no, because the descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it's through Isaac. I want you to notice how Paul starts narrowing. He's letting us know that the Jewish people also should have known you just be coming from Abraham doesn't get you salvation. Why? Because it wasn't just through Abraham. Abraham had sons, but it was through Isaac. See how, narrow, how he narrowed it down? It's through Isaac. And then, not only that, he said Sarah will have a son. It comes from the sons of Sarah and then Rebecca's children. He's making it very clear. There's, there's a bunch of other people there, but they're not the descendants of the promise. They're not saved because they were born from Abraham. And don't, don't forget Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know these are, but they're, they're incredibly shifty people. All of them are doing shifty things here. Even the ones of the promise, they're choosing. Like, well, God said it was going to be this, and so I'm going to hire a somebody to have sex with and I'll have a baby and that'll help out because my wife's barren. And God's like, no, that's not my plan. Once again, we like to try to fix God. Back in the time when the promises were made, man was like, God, you're wrong. This isn't going to work. I'll fix you. <laughs> and it's silly, isn't it? But we do the same thing with theology today. I'll fix God because what Paul's saying here makes him sound bad. no. No, God is God. He does all things well. And then it gets to those children of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. And when I read it, did anybody cringe when I read this verse? Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Anybody cringe? Just a little bit? You should. Let me, let me talk to you about that. The Bible was written translated and we've had it now in many different languages and we have to take it into consideration that when we look at it we're looking at it with our mindset the first thing they teach you in college when you become a biblicist and try to understand biblical theology is you come to it with baggage that's the first thing i was taught you come to this with baggage i'm like i don't have any baggage yes you do you're a white 
male, American. So what? Well, you're going to read this differently than somebody of a different race, of a different nationality, in a different time. Baggage. So when we come to those words, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, you know what we do with that? We immediately take that into the realm of emotions. And it's it's really a shame because if somebody reads this passage, they're like, God hates. It says right there, God hates. Emotionally, he hated somebody. And the guy didn't even do anything wrong before he was born. Here's the problem with that. The word wasn't meant to be emotion. We, we do that from years and years and years of messing with the word love and hate. I've told you many times, hate is not the antithesis of love. It's not the opposite of love. Because it's not an emotion. <laughs> love is an action. And the word used here is probably a bad translation. shouldn't be hate. It's rejected. God's love is not emotion. The Bible says God loves, for God so loved the world. Except for Esau, because he hated Esau. See how we got a problem here? The word doesn't mean hate emotionally. God cannot hate. He is love. The definition of love is God. God is love. But we're trying to define it with the words that we understand, emotional love, emotional hate. And it's not. It's action. With God, love is action. He chose Jacob. He did not choose Esau. He rejected him from the beginning for, for, to be the promised one. How do, we, how do we know that? Well, he doubles down and says that he told mom, the younger one will serve the older one. God knew before that usually, typically, the older one, the one that's born first rules. And God said, no, that's not how it's going to work. The older one will serve the younger one. The younger one rule over the older one. You know, and, and God just says, I know all things. I know the end from the beginning. I, I'm telling you, my way is right. And so we got to be careful we don't try to just fix God. So is God unjust? Well, when we get to this part then, normal thought process would be, well, God is not fair. He's not right. And not at all. That should never be our answer. Who are we to judge God? I find this very interesting at this point, the tactic that God takes. Can you question God? Absolutely. God's got big shoulders. He can handle it. But his answer is not going to be what you think. Typically, you say, God, is that fair? He doesn't come back with, maybe, you think? He comes back with, who do you think you are? And that's a hard one for us to take because we like to think that we're a little more than we are. But the answer to this question, is God fair? Is he unjust? Not at all. And who are we to judge God? Paul then says, we are not God. We are finite and limited. God is God. He is infinite and unlimited. He lets us know that we are not God. God owes man nothing. And, come on, clicker. We have no standing to question what he does. And then we'll talk about God's character. So in response to this question, (laughs) Paul doubles down. Is God unjust in the fact that he chose Abraham, then Isaac, Jacob, not Esau? He chose. Can God do that? Is it fair? Well, number one, I think we always have to come back to fairness. What are we, fairness, our explanation of fairness, no one deserves grace. That's why grace is grace. No one deserves mercy. That's why mercy is mercy. 
God lovingly gives that, but it isn't owed to anyone. The minute we think that God owes us something is when we start doing weird things with theology, like saying, everybody goes to heaven, it's going to be fine, everybody, no, there's no problem. And when the Bible continually, from Genesis to the maps, says, unless you repent, you will perish. We have no standing to question what he does. And so here's what Paul does. Paul doubles down. And he uses the example of Pharaoh. To answer, is God fair? He doubles down and gives us another example where God simply chose. And he talks about Pharaoh. What does he say about Pharaoh? Let me find my sheet again. From Scripture, verse 17. I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens who he wants to harden. Well, what's the story of Pharaoh? The Bible clearly says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the answer is God fair. He brings up another situation where we don't usually typically think God was being fair. Poor Pharaoh. Poor, poor Pharaoh. This beautiful, innocent person was born and God forced him to rebel. Is that our understanding? It's not, it's not, it's not. Take a look at the story of Egypt and Pharaoh. This is where we make conjectures and I'll say, how do I balance free will? If you look at the story of Pharaoh, I want you to note how many times the Bible said that Pharaoh hardened his heart before we get to the context where God says, I hardened Pharaoh's heart. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, remember how God says he gave them over to their sinful lusts. When did he give them over? After they had chosen to rebel, after they had chosen to sin. Then God eventually said, you're not going to turn, and he hardens hearts. If you look at the story of Pharaoh, Pharaoh had many opportunities to let his people go, to do the things right, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So how do, how do I think this all works out? I don't know for sure. But I do think that Pharaoh's will had something to do with God's will. Does that make sense at all? You might not agree with me, but I think when I look at it, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God saw the pathway was clear. And God said, eventually, there comes a time when you're done and you don't have any more option. You've gone too far. That's what he says to the world. If you choose to live in sin, and habitually living in sin, he'll give you over to that and there's no escaping. Don't get to the point in life where God said, I'll give him over to his lust, to his desire. Don't get to that point. So he uses Pharaoh, and I might as well triple down. If Paul tripled down and talked about Pharaoh, about God being unjust, let's talk about Job. Anybody know the story of Job? Anybody uncomfortable with the story of Job? It's a hard one. It's a hard one. If you've taken the time to read through Job, by the way, who lost everything, he lost everything, he's got sores all over his body, he's laying in a heap of dirt, and his friends come over. It just gets from bad to worst, right? They're the terrible friends. They're like, Job, you stink. You know, <laughs> thank you. you know, Job, you're doing everything wrong. Right, and, and so this whole story of Job is about how much he lost and how everybody's coming and piling on. But finally in Job 38, we're going to take some time to do this. I think it's important. Let me read for you some context today. Finally in Job 38, God speaks to Job. Okay, remember Job? You know, 
Satan's like, this guy's living high on the hog because you protect him and you make everything great. You're the lottery for this guy. And if you just stop doing that, he'll turn on you. And so God says, you can't kill him, but go at him. Let's see. Job goes through all of this. Wouldn't you think the first time God speaks to Job, he'd say, oh, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Sorry about the hard stuff. Here's what God says to Job at the end of Job. After Job is put up with all the problems and all the hurts, his bad friends, bad wife, bad everything. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When, it, when I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Who do you think you are? And I know we don't like to hear that, but from an almighty sovereign God, when man comes to him and says, God, you can't do it that way. You can't choose because then you're unchoosing. And it doesn't seem fair. God says, who do you think you are? Verse 38, uh, or uh, 40, uh, 40, 1 through 12. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God, accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice. I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. By the way, I hope that never happens to me, because I'll pee my pants. If the Almighty God looks at me and says, brace yourself, I'm going to question you. Take it like a man. Twice he said that to him now. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Finally, at the end of Job, after all that's happened, Job again replies, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Does it help? Maybe not. But the answer that Paul gives and that I'm giving you today is, 
When God clearly speaks his ways before mankind, who is mankind to question him? He's almighty and he's sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. He has all the information and he does all things well. So let's talk about that character of God. So what do we know about the character of God? I know that you might read these things and think to yourself, well, that's not nice. It's not nice. It's not fair. But let's remind ourselves of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? That's the character of God. When we read that God chose and others were unchosen, does that mean they were unloved by God? No. No, God loves all. His character is that he's not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's character is that he loves all. But God in his wisdom, sent his son. How is he going to do that? You go home and figure this out on paper, okay? He needs to be born of a woman. Has to be a virgin birth or it would be of a physical man. So it's got to be a virgin birth, right? Born of a woman. Well, who's this woman from? What line is he coming from? The fact that he was born of Mary means he had some kind of a descendant. He comes from the line of Israel, people. God chose that. We had nothing to say about that. But there is no other option. He's got to be born of a woman. He's got to be fully man. (laughs) In order to die on a cross and for that sacrifice to mean something, he had to be born fully God, fully man. That means he had to come from some tribe, some peoples. You figure this out. So God chose. And he narrowed his choosing down. It's not just Abraham. It's Isaac. Not Ishmael. It's Jacob, not Esau. Because it's just, he narrows it down. This is where Jesus comes from. But here's the thing he's getting across. It doesn't matter. Everyone must come by grace through faith, not race. It's grace, not race. And this is how God chose to bring salvation. We can struggle with it, but it is God's choice. Amen? It's God's choice. So is he unjust? The answer is not at all. He's not unjust. So the last difficult question. He doesn't ask it, but he actually brings it up. What's my responsibility? Let's look at it real quickly. One of you will say, then why does God still blame us? When you look at all this and you say, well, man, God did this choosing. And so how could I be in trouble? What's my responsibility? Number one, submit to God's authority. Abraham had to do that. Jacob. I'd love to go back and preach my messages on Jacob for you guys. He was quite a, man, he was something else. The only one that topped him was his uncle Laban. He was quite a a piece as well. A lot of shicers going on. There's a lot of trickery going on and all this happened. But they, they they have to submit to God. Jacob went as far as wrestling with God. We, I think it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He had a wrestling match, went all night. Wrestling match with God himself. Are we stubborn or are we stubborn people? I don't know how this wrestling match went. I really kind of think it was one of those, like, you know, holding him off while he's like, 
And, he, and then, and then the, the time came where it's like, the, oh, it's got to be done. Just touch the hip socket. That's all he did. He's like, oh, you're done. <laughs> Submit. Submit. What do we do? What's my responsibility? Submit. We can do this the hard way or we can do it the easy way. How many of you go the hard way? I did, huh? How many of you ran, 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 ran? Yeah. And God's like, oh my goodness. If it wasn't for the fact that I loved you. <laughs> oh, submit to God's authority. First Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Submit to God's authority. Second thing, love and serve God wholeheartedly. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. We know that we should submit to God's authority, love and serve God wholeheartedly, and by doing so, we'll love others more than we love ourselves. And then lastly, thank God for his grace and mercy. I know some of you really want to have a strong stance on election and free will. You can. I'm okay with that. Just remember God's words to Job. Who are you to question me? <laughs> Who are we to fix him? Honestly, I would rather be humble and say, I, I don't know God's ways and don't understand his ways, but I trust him. I trust his character. And I thank him for his grace and mercy. So far in Romans, we've seen Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've seen Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we've seen Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm thankful for God's salvation. How he gave it to us, it's beyond my pay grade. I can't understand all of his ways, but he does all things well. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I'll go back to Paul's word, I'm convinced nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. You could still leave today saying, ah, I don't believe in all this nonsense, all this hooey, even though Paul quickly, clearly said it and then doubled down and gave illustrations about it. You can choose to walk away from that if you wish. I choose to simply say, I don't quite understand how God does it, but I'm thankful that he does it, amen? You could either spend the rest of your life being angry at God that some aren't saved, or you could spend your life doing what he told you to do and go share the gospel. Paul, who wrote all this, poured himself like a drink offering. He poured himself out for the cause of the gospel. He went to islands and peoples and nations and said, come, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He didn't say if you were chosen and elected. He didn't say that. Scripture is rich and theology is rich, but it shouldn't change what we know to be true about God. He loves us. He sent Jesus. If you believe in him, you will be saved. Amen? How else God does the figuring all that out beforehand, I cannot tell you, nor do I understand it but I've come to trust that he's a good God. And I believe if you're sitting here today and you're hearing the word about Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to accept him as your savior. Don't even go down the road thinking, well, am I 
elect or not. Don't even go down that road. The fact that you're hearing the gospel is an opportunity. Seize the opportunity. Today is the day of salvation, God says. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you settled it in your heart? Have you gone to him and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. If you do that, put all the other questions to rest. He will save you. And as you leave today, you need to know he loves you. How do you put a conclusion on this hard word? Well, to most people, fairness is everyone receiving exactly what they deserve. If God were completely fair by this definition, we would all spend eternity in hell paying for our sins, which is exactly what we deserve. But, everybody say but. But God is merciful and good. So he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Friends, that's the best I can do with a hard passage is bring up the hard questions that Paul gives us, give you the answers that Paul gives us, and tell you God is good. He loves you. He gave you Jesus. If you believe, you will be saved. Everything else above that and beyond that is conjecture. And we can debate it until the cows come home. Or you can go home and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. I'm going to have the band come up. Leave us, leave us today with a, a, a song of upbeat worship because it would be easy today, scratching our, leaving, scratching our head, wondering God's ways. I want you to go home and spend some time thinking about this and just understanding what you can understand, but appreciating that God is God. He is above us. And we can question, we can have our wonders and our doubts, but at the end of the day, there needs to be a decision of surrender. It really does. Submit to his authority and believe that he does all things well. Let me pray. Why don't you stand with me as we get ready to close it up. Father God, thank you for your word, even though it's hard at times even though uh, when we just about think we know what you're going to do and say, you turn around and surprise us. So God, I pray, number one, we would surrender to the fact that you're God and we're not. We'd believe that you do all things well and that you are a loving God. Above all, you love, not just emotionally, but in action. You gave us Jesus. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.